Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. Okay, what the fuckers? Welcome to the show. I am feeling pretty good. I'm recovering from a sausage fest and pizza fest that happened primarily in my hotel room and within three or four miles of where I was staying in Chicago. Thank you for your concern. We've got a great show today. Jim Gaffigan is stopping by. Also, for you seditionists, you might remember Kalo, the Costco ho. My old board op is going to come by and talk about Mad Men. And of course, there'll be a few with Matthew. And for you people who live in San Francisco next week, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, October 8th, 9th, and 10th, I will be at the Punchline in San Francisco. So please come down and uh, share some time with me. All right, so I just was uh, at this place. It's called the Chelsea Market. It's a place that has gourmet food here in New York, a lot of different stores, a lot of this and that. And this is one of those, I think I'm getting past the mundane what the fuck moments that used to define my life that I can't get aggravated about everything. I go into this place. I just want to get an espresso. I just really want a nice, strong espresso. I didn't want to go to Starbucks. I got something in my mind, just good coffee. And we get to this place. It's called the ninth street. It's called ninth street coffee. It's a counter. They make espresso. I'm looking at the menu. It's an espresso menu. So I say to the woman there, I say, can I get, a double espresso uh, poured over a cup of ice. She's like, I, we don't do that. And I'm like, well, can I, do you have ice? She's like, yeah. And I go, can you make me a double espresso? She says, yes, but I can't sell it to you if you're going to pour it over the ice. Now, in my life, that moment would have been such a huge, what the fuck, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? What if I came back a few minutes from now, what if I bought the double espresso and then came back and said, could I have a cup of ice with a half a cup of water? And I, I had that moment where I was furious, but I just sucked it up. And I said, why is that? She goes, well, how would we maintain the integrity of what we're trying to do here if we would do that? And, and I had to swallow it. I swallowed the what the fuck moment. And I said, well, can you make me a macchiato and just put a little extra, little milk in there with, uh, under the foam? She's like, we don't do foam here. And I'm thinking like, what, you don't have fucking milk? I mean, what are you talking about? But it's called something different. She goes, well, the, you know, the, the crema is, is natural. And I'm like, crema? And I, I didn't even know what the fuck she was talking about. But I said, well, then just give me a macchiato. I sucked it up and I, and I didn't condescend to her condescension with my practicality, which is like, just give me, just pour it on the fucking ice. You know, it was one of those moments where he kind of wished he had like a lot of money. He said, would you do it for $20? Would you compromise your integrity for $20 and, and pour your, your precious espresso over the ice just to see if you could bend her integrity over this ridiculous principle? But I got to be honest with you. I sucked up the what the fuck. I stood there. She made me this macchiato with the crema and it was spectacular to the point where I was like, wow, that really is tremendous. I'm so happy that you don't let me pour double espresso over ice because it would have been so much less enjoyable. And she seemed sort of grateful about it as, as well. She said, it's just really hard sometimes to do this because this place is like a family. We all you know, love each other. We have sort of a love-hate thing going. And I said, well, it's nice to work some, someplace where you can believe in something. She says, well, it's, 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 it's great 
And I said, well, coffee is very important. And then she started talking about, yeah, I think coffee and, and oil are very large commodities. And I said, no, I'm more thinking along the lines of, you know, food, coffee, and sex. They, you know, they kind of take the top three in one form or another with me on any given day. She's like, oh, yeah, I guess that, yeah, it's like the Trinity. And I'm like, yes. And please maintain your integrity with this coffee because it was certainly worth it. But seriously, what the fuck? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I should have said, just give me a cup of ice. Can I have a cup of ice now? I'm not going to put any coffee in it. But the, but the real thing is, is I started to realize, because we're going to talk to Jim Gaffigan in a little while, that mundane stuff, it's very hard for me to get angry, as I used to, about little bullshit. Because I learned this valuable lesson. And I believe it's true. That if you're one of these people that gets up in the morning and you're like, oh, shit, I slept through my alarm or, oh, my God, my cat shit in my shoe. Oh, Jesus, I just spilled coffee on, uh, on, my, on my pants. How come I'm out of toothpaste? If that's your morning, if you have the right personality, you will connect all those things. And it becomes this sort of Jobian experience. Like, why me? Why no toothpaste? Why did the homeless guy throw up on my shoe on the subway? How could this happen to me? There was 10, 15 people on the car, but he chose my foot to throw up on after I spilled coffee on myself, after my cat shit in my shoe, and I ran out of, out of toothpaste. I mean, what the fuck is happening with my life? I'm being persecuted by this bullshit it's just a never-ending series of what the fuck moments i find that if you surrender to that and really believe that all those things are connected you will become god's clown you will become a little comedy of errors in yourself because if you're walking around like that oh just another damn thing sure enough birds will focus on you to shit upon they things will happen to you you will be so tense and aggravated and anxious about these little things that keep happening to you that they just won't be able to stop happening and you will become one of god's silly clowns look at the tense clown look what just happened to him oh my god that car just drove by and sprayed all that water on that man when people see that and laugh, they don't realize that your entire day has been filled with that because you think you are being persecuted when really you are just God's puppet, God's little comedy of errors. You just have to let it go. Keeping that in mind, I need to talk to, to Jim Gaffigan about how he writes jokes about all these little things because I, I think I'm becoming more spiritually aware and I'm able to let certain things go. There are certain things I can't let go. Like today, I had this realization that with this public health care option, I had this weird moment, and I don't know if it really resonates, that I want a public option because I'm about to lose my insurance, and it would be very helpful to me. And then I started thinking about how some people criticize it as like, you don't want the government to be involved in your, your health care because then it'll be a big bureaucracy, you'll be waiting on lines, you won't get very good treatment. And then I started to, uh, to think about it. And I was waiting online at the post office when I was thinking about it. And I realized, like, wait a minute, this is sort of the same thing. The post office is like this weird, arcane, government-run bureaucracy that we have to wait online for. You never know what they're doing back there. Why does it take them so long? Do they just take the little ticket with your package number on it and then go on back and laugh and eat a sandwich? How come it takes so long? And why is, it, why is there never enough people at the post office? 
And and the truth of the matter is, is that your only other option is is to pay more money at, for FedEx or UPS. And to be quite honest with you, even though it takes a long time at the post office waiting online and stuff, I still enjoy the service and I like buying the pretty stamps. And 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 I and I, I like knowing it's there. I like going to the post office. It's a community thing and I'm taken care of. So I started to think about healthcare in the same way that like, what's the worst it could be? A little bit like the post office? That's okay. As long as, you know, I get something the equivalent of uh of like a, a Gary Cooper stamp or maybe something like a Christmas me stamp with uh sometimes they have the Christmas me stamps with Arabic letters on it that I don't really read. I don't really believe in Christmas anyways, but it's nice to have the stamps or the heart stamps. I don't mind the post office is what I'm saying, and I think I wouldn't mind a public option as well. But see what do I see that's how that's a good example of me working on a mundane joke is I take an experience of waiting online at the post office and try to uh amplified into something representational of the public health care debate. Why can't I just focus on little things like like Hot Pockets? Never really see that on a menu when you go out to dinner. You know, let's see, I'll have the Caesar salad and the Hot Pocket. Uh, tonight's specials, we have a sea bass, which is broiled, and we have a Hot Pocket, which is cooked in a dirty microwave. And that comes with a side of Pepto. Is your hot pocket cold in the middle? It's frozen. But it can be served boiling lava hot. Will it burn my mouth? It'll destroy your mouth. Everything will taste like rubber for a month. All of the hot pocket. Hot pocket! Hot pockets, yeah. They haven't been around that long, like 10 years. How'd they come up with that? Was there some kind of marketing meeting like, I got an idea. How about we fill a Pop-Tart with nasty meat? And you could cook it in a sleeve thing. And you could dunk it in the toilet. It's weird. There is the vegetarian hot pocket for those of us that don't want to eat meat but still would like diarrhea. You ready? Yeah. Are you ready? Yes. You got the Nicorette there going? I got I got plenty of Nicorette. That voice you hear is Jim Gaffigan, the comedian. Now you're gonna take the headphones off or put no, the bag I'm taking, down? No, I'm taking off my I, my bag slash purse. I assume you've done this before. I didn't know it was gonna be. You know, I mean, you all set? I'm I'm settled in. Thank you. <laughs> Jim Gaffigan, as you know, uh, is huge. Not physically. But as a comedian, he's taken over uh, the entire Midwest of this country. Is that true? Um, yes, it's uh, it's it's under my jurisdiction. Right, it's now. all under Gaffigan jurisdiction, and, and I'm not. You, you know, look, you know, I love you, and you know that I have a slight bit of jealousy. Right. But but I know that on some level, you must feel that for me. I get it. You and I are um, there's a similar insanity. I do think. you want some nicotine gum? I got some going, thank you. You do? Oh, yeah. Have you tried the Swedish snus? Have you tried that? No, what's that? Uh, it's the stuff that they make in Sweden. It's a tobacco product. It's like a, a pouch of chewing tobacco, but you put it in your upper lip and you don't have to spit. And they make like all different kinds and they make it very strong. And it makes your teeth nice and black, I'm sure. Right? I'm sure it does all kinds of things. But hey, anything's better than smoking, right? <laughs> yeah. Right? Huh? Well, you know, the the Scandinavians, that's why, like, all that uh, dipping is called Copenhagen and Skull. It's like they, that's their thing. Right. That's And this so. is a Scandinavian product. I have yes. some right here in my bag. I could show it to you. Really? Yeah. And you could smell it. 
No, I used to chew tobacco for a long time. I, when I'm, was that? I'm like, from Indiana, so it's like... When you were a kid? Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, chewing of tobacco. You dipped? Yeah. Did you ever dip? I'm a Jew. Jews don't dip. Well, aren't you from like New Mexico, though, or no, Arizona? It doesn't matter. You know, Jew puts that stuff in his mouth. Here's, here was the one experience. Me and my brother got hold of some Copenhagen from some cowboy yeah. who said, you want a dip? So, of course, me and my little brother, I'm like, yeah, let me try it. So we yeah. put a dip of Copenhagen in. You know, I you know, immediately uh, start sweating and have to go inside. My brother throws up in the bathtub. That yeah. was the, and I don't think that's a good, like, commercial for dipping. Like, right. look at Jews dipping. Or maybe that could be. But that's, that's like everyone <laughs> dipping, though. You need someone there, Smell like that. an older brother who's... Smell that snooze. This this one is extra strong. It's, yeah, that's that's a little bit... Um, it's got bergamot. There's Copenhagen, and then there's like a level above it, which was just like... That's what this just is. Just ass. But, it, you know, you grow... It's like coffee. The stronger the coffee... That's what happened. Someone recommended yeah. this to me because I was on the show with the lozenges, with the yeah. gum, and they're like, try this. This will get you off cigarettes. Not realizing... I have no desire. I've been off cigarettes a long time. Yeah. I just love nicotine. Yeah. So I get some of the really... I get a variety pack, and I put Ooh. the strongest one in my mouth, and literally, I had to sit down because I was sweating. Oh, yeah. And, and I yeah. started to like... I started to go out, you know, I started to like, oh God, like I'm going down. And then like, like once I got through it, I'm like, I got to get more of this. This is what, yeah. this is the way a man wakes up in Sweden. And, and I want to be one of those men. When did you dip in high school? Were I you... dipped through high school and college and I, you know, I dipped, I went from dipping to smoking and then from smoking to chewing the nicotine gum. Wow. But so, the thing the dipping, it is really, it's. It's really, um, I mean, all those habits are, are disgusting. I guess the gum's not that bad. But the dipping, it's really filthy. It, like, makes your mouth, your breath nasty. It makes your teeth black. Yeah. You know. But isn't it worth it? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I mean you got to commit to something. Yeah. Well, you, you know, we all, you need your vice, right? You know what's so. interesting? Here's, a, here's an interesting thing that I'll share with you because it has to do with comedy and, and I'm not going to mention any names. But you do the comedy you do. It's very enjoyable. Everyone right. likes you. People, people know, even though you talk about things, everyone can understand that you're really fucked up, you know, somewhere in there. They're like, this guy's a little weird, which I respect. And, but when you act, I mean, you, you choose projects that you like to do, correct? Right. Have you turned down acting projects? Um, yeah, some, not a lot. I mean, yeah, there's, um, I probably have gotten way more selective. Yeah recently but then again it's like you know it's like as a comedian it's like how do you someone's gonna pay you twice as much as you made uh you know doing five dates yeah, on the road and at like, theaters yeah you know what i mean it's it's so like there's something about like i think a creative person particularly when you just suck wind for so long that when someone <laughs> wants you to be on like i'm trying to think of this one, it was like Models Inc. or something like nothing, nothing. I never saw the show, you know. But it's like, it's like, but it was an offer, and I was like, how flattering. <laughs> but then there's the other side of me. It's like, well, you know, do you want to do that? But so it's like it's it's getting to a little bit more of a point where um, I'm saying no to things. But you've had some sweet deals. I mean, even even the. Uh... The, the funny thing is about comics is when you start out, when you go out for movies, you know, you get all worked up. You're like, I'm going in on a movie audition. It's always like, you want two of those? Yeah. And that's it. 
Yeah. That's the whole line. And they're like, work with it. Work with it. Work yeah. with what? I'm the guy at the thing that says Either you want to with those. I look like the guy that's a construction worker or I don't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But but the interesting thing about you is because you have a unique look. I mean, even in Three Kings, you had like a great scene. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Uh -huh. I mean, and like I, I see it. And I'm like, dude, that's Jim Gaffigan. Don't people come up to you and go, you're the guy from Three Kings? Uh, um, yeah. When, you know, yeah. And I mean, then you were in the, now I'm being like Chris Farley. Then you were in that <laughs> other one that was just on that I saw that I enjoyed. The one that uh, Dave Eggers wrote. Uh, uh, away We Go. Yeah, that was a good part. That was a great part. Yeah. And I mean, how long were you on fun. set for that? Um, I think like four days. Four Isn't that fun? It's, it's so fun. You feel uh, like you've like arrived? Well, it's the whole notion of arriving is a myth. But uh, I do feel like, all right, hey, Sam Mendes. Yeah. This has to be a little bit of a brush fire. Not mm. at all. You know, it's not. You yeah. know, it's. Yeah, I have yeah. that thing where like if I do anything that requires a, a crew and there's cameras involved. That like right after there's that moment where you're like huh I, I did it yeah. <laughs> I finally right? showed up yeah right <laughs> and then like the next day you sort of feel like calling them like how, I was good right was I was really, right how was I are you gonna get a good take out of that and then after about two days you're like I don't think they're gonna call me anymore well it's I think there's also the other side where people do like you you know and you know that they're sincere. And you're like, well, why can't you stuff me into that project? And they're I like, know. And they're like, I can't wait to work with you again. And you're like, hey, that'd be great. That'd I'd be love great. it. And, I, and then you just see them do shows and movies. And you're like, but yeah, but yeah. They, that guy liked me. Yeah. Or that woman thought I was brilliant. Why is she? Right. But, and then you realize that they're lying to us to well, make us feel better. I, I don't think, I think some of it is uh, lying, but some of it is also like, we think that we could fit into any situation, but they're like, yeah. you know. Uh, Why can't I play a black football player? <laughs> you know, yeah. You know, I mean, you can change the part. But I hate that when it goes the other way, where they're like, where you get the, when you get the breakdown for the part, and it's like, man in his mid-70s with no arm. And, yeah. I, and, you're, like, and you're like, well, I, that's, I'm clearly not right for this. It's like, they're not, they haven't decided. But even if they stretch it a little bit, yeah. how am I going to be that guy? And then, you know, like you'll read it and I, you know, I've called uh, my agents and been like, you know, I'm not right for this part. And they're like, you know what you were, you know, there's all these kind of like, you were a request and it's like, well, it's a, a it's a Hasidic Hispanic guy. I don't think I'm going to get the part. And they're like, you know what? They might be going a different way. I'm like, they're not going a different way. <laughs> How different could it be? So, it's called Ola Shalom. But it is... Uh, <laughs> They're not going to change the whole movie. They're not. It's. I'm not going to fit in there. Oh, but what I was getting at was that there was this moment I had, and I think you'll appreciate it only because you know me well enough to appreciate that it was It was probably one of those things that I did as a dig, but didn't realize it was until I walked away and someone was crying. But um, I was talking to a comic who has been in a movie recently. Yeah. And he was at a comedy club with his wife. Yeah. And I said, well, congratulations on that. He's like, yeah, you know, it's great. I, you know, I'm, I'm very excited about it. It was a great little scene. I was really happy. And I'm like, well, that's great that you got that. He goes, you know, as I get older, I just realize, you know, I just, you got to be open to anything. And then, of course, I said, or not. And you just have to accept that you're not open to anything. I think that's called having personal principles. And somehow or another, that came off as, uh, as a, an attack to his wife, I think. Because she was like, what do you mean? I'm like, I, congratulations. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's like, you know, there's a certain, there's a certain, <laughs> wasn't you guys. I there's mean, a certain conversation you have. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that comedians, uh, you know, have, uh, uh, you know, a deep seated cynicism 
and like that you know we kind of almost pull like uh, you know you pull back i mean you don't you yeah. know but there there's that you pull back in social situations well you know what i'm actually hiding is a nice guy that, that's Underneath what, it yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. A lot of guys, they all. put the nice guy out front. They're like, you know, go ahead. Go get the love you didn't get. Go. Take it in from these people you don't know. I go the other way. I defy them to like the asshole. Then maybe I'll show them the nice guy. I love that story. Isn't that great? I see that in a yeah. miniseries. Yeah. Do you think you I can know? pitch that? Uh, I see an article in Men's Health. I think you could play me in it. I Would could. that be a challenge? Could you that play would me? Be, uh, I'd have to, you know, not eat for a year. But, yeah, maybe I could do it. All right, so you're out in the Midwest. You're doing well. The... You know, it's like I'm, you make it sound like, look, he's not Jewish. He's this goyim from the Midwest. What do you expect? Those Midwesterners are going to buy this stuff. I mean, come on, let's be serious. Vanilla to the vanilla people. There's Dairy Queen there, folks. Were you it's, just channeling my brain? Did you just? It's a little bit of. I'm sorry. I don't mean. Okay, let's say you're out there in the Midwest just... and occasionally Seattle. And yeah, okay. and and you play some parts of California where people like you. You know, I'm not going to engage in defensiveness. Really, I'm not. I'm not. That nicotine gum really works for you. I got to keep does. chewing mine. Yeah, I'm growing a tumor right now. I guess but. my my problem is, and I don't know if I've talked to you about this before, is the thing I envy about you is that you write a lot of jokes about a lot of things, and for right. me, if it's not if it isn't loaded with some existential, you know equation like if right. i can't wrench you know you know darkness and and light out of it like i don't i don't seem to deal with the mundane enough now you're like, he's deep and you're not yeah introduce your wife to the this people. is my uh lovely wife and actually you know my my oh. writing partner in all my come comedy. up to the mic I've you're in now you taking over her comedic point of I'm view in. could you could you introduce her with her name jim this is uh my wonderful wife Jeannie. okay because that was better than like, oh yeah, this is my wife. Well, you've met her before. That's I'm why I would that. say that. No, I know I've met her. It's yeah. just that, you know, we're talking to a lot of people. There are people right now in their automobiles. Some people are on the treadmill. Uh, you know, some people are very aggravated that they or just spilled like coffee. Or there's like 20 people like, sitting in front of their computer listening to this. And maybe it's that. But here's my thing. Yeah. Here's what I believe. Yeah. I believe that people get way too much credit and way too much criticism for doing their thing. I think that comedians, whether it be Louis Black, Mark Maron, uh, maybe I'm going to get in trouble with this, but or or Jeff Dunham. Yeah, the public. You know, guy. they literally people are like, either you know, someone's like they are filthy, or someone says like they don't talk about anything important. They're not attacking authority. And the reality is, it's like, I think we're just kind of, we do what we do. You know I, I, mean? I agree it's with you, It's not like actually. Garth Brooks, like, or what, you know, didn't he do like a rock album? And it doesn't work. We, when but, Eddie Murphy does a, a music, it doesn't work because he does that thing. That's I, not to say that Eddie I Murphy's agree not you. one of the greatest actors, but right, I, I think he is. But <laughs> I do. I think he is. But I, I understand what you're saying, and I and I actually over time have gotten to that same place that you know it's show business. You know we're not leaders, we're not politicians, we don't represent a community necessarily, unless you're gay or black or Latino or Chinese comedian. But I mean, you and I are not representing a community necessarily, uh, and even then, you're still performing for a community. You're still an entertainer. Right. So right. after a certain point, the criticisms have to be within the realm of like you know we're in show business, right? And if you succeed and you can live with yourself, you've done an amazing thing. 
But it's also it's also I think understanding, and this is going to sound really kind of corny, but it's understanding your voice, you know, and it's like your voice, it, you know, works best when you're discussing things that you discuss. When I am a six foot two, you know, 230 pound blonde guy who has pale skin, if I talked about politics, you know, it's not like I just started off you know, being a straight observational guy, I talked about some politics. I talked about, uh, I did impressions, all these different things. But the reality is, is like, there is some, let me put this in a larger context. We're insane. We go on stage and make strangers laugh. There's nothing normal about that. Right. And so what we elicit is that same high that we got from, you know, doing this thing. And so like, we work it out. It's like you might have an unnecessary censorship that you put on yourself against an observational joke. You know, it's like, I mean, people evolve, but it, there's something about it like where I just think that it's it's kind of like people are like, when is, uh, when is uh, Motorhead going to write a country song? I am waiting. You right. know what I mean? It's I just like, shame. it's a little yeah. bit... It's a, it, no, I understand, and it, it, it makes me, it drives me to ask the question, um, do you know what my voice is? Because I could use some help. Could you give me some notes? Could you watch a half hour and just say this? You're, I think you're, uh, you know, you are a social satirist. But right. I would also say that there is something about, um, there's something about different styles of comedy and also uh, just how there's different styles of music. But there's also like, you know, uh, some people are about some subtext. Some people are about yelling. Some people are preachers. Some people are clowns. Right, but you just know what you do. Because like when yeah. I write jokes, like if I write an observational joke, which I have, yeah. well, a lot of times what happens to me is that like it's almost like that's... you'll want to hang yourself. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no I, yeah, I mean, yeah. I can definitely appreciate a good joke, and I and I have them yeah. within what I do. But there's some part of me I always think of that, uh, you know, that that scene. Like even when I do, I just put together a show for, uh, set for the Tonight Show. So right. even when I do that, you remember the scene in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid when they go to get the job to protect the guys taking gold across the canyon yeah. and they're, they got to shoot and Sundance is shooting and he can't hit the piece of wood and, and Paul Newman's like, you know, what's, what's the problem? And he, and he goes, well, can I move? Yeah. And then he moves and he's able to blow it all apart that right. there's something that restricts me. Like, I feel like it's not, I'm not quite, you know, I can't just let the joke sit on its own. I have to blather on a bit. Right, right, right. But that's, that's how I do I know. Yeah. I mean, I also think that there's something about, um, there is, I mean, comedy has such a, this is really me sounding pompous, but there's something, there's such a rich history of dealing with censorship in stand-up comedy and dealing with kind of like challenging the social norms, you know, Lenny Bruce or Carlin and stuff like that. But the thing is, is like, there's also, you know... People, you know, people want to laugh and, you know, I mean, I definitely don't want to be known as vanilla and stuff like that. And, you're not. You're known as like a slightly disturbed. there is something thing. about like there's always been, you know, someone like Letterman or Bill Murray and I'm not associating myself with them. But there's always been people that were not, 
Lenny Bruce or and you know of course it, no there it's like yeah. there's it's like the difference between comedians and stand-ups and clowns and stand it does all that doesn't matter the weird thing about uh, it matters to a degree but we're all doing the same thing yeah but the interesting thing about you is you're you're kind of perverse and that you know that that meta voice that you created yes. for yourself is and you know it's odd well you know Todd Glass I mean you know you I'm sure you get you know this is a comedy nerd conversation that we're having right that's here. right I have a that, I'm playing to them a bit I mean, because I'm well I'm a huge comedy nerd and the thing you know like Todd Glass has a this great point where it's like comedians you know everything's evolving and moving along so it used to be kind of like you know Seinfeld the observational comic or you know Lenny Bruce this outspoken social satirist but what event you know Todd's thing is that or the clown you yeah, know yeah yeah or or the uh, preacher and Todd's belief you know uh, was that you need two of those things now you can't just be the observational guy like Seinfeld. You know, you can't just be the true eccentric like uh, Emo Phillips was. Right. Or you like, have to be, you have to combine two right. of them because there is uh, a sophistication that's almost, particularly among like a 14 year old that's watched Comedy Central for seven well, years. There, but yeah, there's also a lot of people that think comedy started at Mr. Show. And, and oddly, you know, to kind of say something about Todd Glass, he didn't just choose two, I think he chose like seven. Yeah, I, yeah, you know, because yeah. he's like he, him and Dana Gould are like watching the history of comedy. Yeah, yeah. Anytime yeah. you watch those two, you're like, yeah. oh my god, they're actually you're doing. Like, there's the Borscht Belt. Yeah, there's yeah. everything. It's all in there, and and I and I think that's in yeah. all of us a little bit. But yeah, the process of of uh, of of writing. So your wife writes for you. We, yeah, we write together. We write together. But but is there moments where you're like Jim, Jim, you're eating yogurt like a monkey. You should talk about that. Um, do you have those moments? I, well, yeah. There's well, I would never eat yogurt. I'll introdu but... <laughs> introduce a, a topic. Yeah. But a lot of it is just like going over topics and just like beating the hell out of them. Yeah, it's like finding a topic and just, you know, just put having wow. two people's minds just dissect. Yeah, it's that like, did you think thing. about this? Here's how that would have went when I was married. She would say something. I'd go, "Well, you don't think it's good?" And she'd go, "No, I'm not saying that." And I'd say, "But, but why?" Why would you rewrite it like that? She, and she'd say, I just think it would be funnier. I'm like, why don't I just not fucking do the joke then? Right. And it never got very far with that. Well, there's conversations like that. How <laughs> <Yeah>. good. <laughs> but, you know, it's like any creative process. Or I'll like beg him to do something. He's like, that, you know, That's didn't not work gonna one work. time. You know, and I'm just like, you one audience. Oh, you're going to waste that on one audience. Right. And uh, I'll try to, and that's actually some of the... Um, we're doing some seafood stuff now, and the seafood Ooh, stuff. Can we get a preview? To... Can we get a preview <laughs> of the seafood material, no. please? But the seafood stuff, I've been trying to get in for like five years. Yeah, Holy you know, shit! Uh, she's committed to the seafood stuff, yeah, and you're leaving I her think hanging. It's hilarious. Five years? No, but well, some like, of it is mm, like I'm not buying it. You know, if you have, uh, I don't know, it's do just, it. Come on, Jim. Let's we're among well, friends. Well, my here. whole thing is, is like I do think that if you have a bunch of jokes around a certain topic you know like if you sit there and you spend all your time segueing kind of like you know what's interesting about seafood is uh it seems like they're insects of the ocean and then you change the topic it's like that joke better be the best joke ever no you, you kind of weave it through it, and then like you, later you'll say like like insects in the ocean it, and but, you bring it back but if you introduce a topic and you kind of strip it bare you know you can have a's and b's you know Different levels of jokes in there. Yeah, oddly, so, I yeah, I so agree I had with you. seafood jokes yeah. a couple of years ago, and she was like, "Those are great seafood jokes," and I'm like, "What? You know, two? You know?" Yeah, 
And so. and then, but did so it's growing the seafood chunk or yeah. So we pulled yeah. it back out. It's you great. pulled it back After out. You put, put it back up on the on the anvil. Start hammering. Yeah. Put and it on the anvil. Start started hammering. hammering. And uh, so what do we got? <laughs> we're building a chunk about seafood. If you can't hey, uh, you're like... a comedian. Uh, <laughs> Hold on, let me check oh, my list. Like, so yeah. Jim, you like shrimp? It's you so, like shrimp? <laughs> Jim, you know, I had an experience in Queens where I had to buy a red snapper. It was a whole red snapper. I understand you've been eating a lot of shrimp lately. (laughs) (laughs) Is that true? Now, I understand you just went out to dinner to a seafood restaurant. Is that true? See, now I'm going to get in trouble for bringing up seafood. No, no. It's it's totally just the awkwardness of uh, every, you know, if only that happened at radio stations, that would be great. Well, what I've been experiencing now is that uh, I'm finding that I have... um, because I do radio and because I'm doing the podcast and because I have certain fans that have known me a long time that they know me much better than than I know them, per se, because I don't know them at all. Right, right. Do you have... Uh, but they come up to me and they're like, how are your cats? And by the way, I've been working on a fairly significant cat chunk for years, yeah. and that's, that's new for me. But um, you have a certain type of fan. Can you share some disturbing... Um, moments perhaps or some you know some things that have thrown you where you've shown up and either someone has maybe a tattoo of you on them or no i mean i um you know i would say that the weirdest thing is the uh whole hot pocket thing that it is you know gone what happened so you have like that's a a famous just like literally i'll be with my kids in the airport and someone will just yell hot pocket like you're the hot pocket guy. He's the well, hot pocket yeah. guy, and it's like it's so weird because it's just like this one thing that turned into this huge thing. That's just this little tiny thing. It's like I remember just, everyone loved it. I remember like, when I was at Caroline's. He can't get away from it. I remember when I was at Caroline's and I was doing, uh, you know, one of those horrible Sunday night shows. There were twenty people there, and Vic Henley was emceeing, and I did a couple of these hot pocket jokes, and I got off stage and I was like, you know. And, and it was a while ago, you yeah. know? I was yeah. like, I don't know. I just saw the commercial. I just thought, and he goes, dude, that's funny. You got it. You know, so it's like, and I was like, Henry right. said that? Yeah. And I was like, all right. And so, you know, it was kind of, because I would do it at that point and there would be like some people that, you know, it's kind of ironic to say, but not everyone knew what that product was. Right. But, you know, the weird thing about the Hot Pocket thing is that, there's just something it's very strange about people just yelling it. You know, it's right. like someone it's like someone addressing you by <laughs> what shirt you're wearing. Blue shirt. You know, and you're like, "Hi," you know. You have no idea how to respond. You, you don't know whether to yeah. say thank you. You don't know if they're being a dick about it. Right. And you know, there's you people know? outside the theaters walking around in hot pocket outfits. No. Yeah. And well, they was... think it's part of the show. Well, Hot Pockets did research. This is what the I company found Hot out. Pockets. The Hot Pockets did research and found that um, I was helping sell Hot Pockets, even though he like trashes. Even them. though I talk about diarrhea the entire time, <laughs> and so what they did is they would just start sending someone dressed as a Hot Pocket to my shows. The Hot Pocket people handing out like coupons yeah. and stuff. And so I was like, ha, you know, no. Because I, I don't want to be known as just the Hot Pocket guy. I mean, well, my fear when you brought that up was that this was some fan's idea of a way to connect with you is to dress as a Hot Pocket. I'm almost relieved that it was the company and not some just weird guy going, Jim, oh, yeah. Jim, look at him, a Hot Pocket. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't, yeah. No, he's not like Elvis or anything. Yeah. No, it's, uh, 
No, there's nothing like that, really. So what do you got coming up? Because we're going to probably do this one tomorrow. So what do you think? Um, what do I got? Yeah. I'm in uh, an episode of Law & Order. That you did with Michael Showalter, because I yeah. watched you guys tweet, like a, a couple of cute yeah. little guys. Yeah. A couple of girls <laughs> tweeting away yeah. Yeah. On, the, on the set of Law & Order. Yeah, and there's like Baron Vaughn's in the episode. There's like five comedians in the episode. Were any of them playing comedians? No. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, quite the coincidence. You got any shows coming up? I'm going to Nashville and Dallas in October. I guess we're in October. That Are would be, we? Well, yeah. or any second. Yeah, now. yeah. It'll be October when you're talking. And then um, doing some colleges, um, Rochester and Rhode Island and Florida State. Spectacular. Very exciting. I will show up at two of those gigs in a Hot Pocket outfit. That would be great. If you bring me on stage. That would be great. And let me do some political satire dressed as a Hot Pocket. You know, educate these people. Yeah. We'll we'll sneak it in. I'll be like, I'm the Hot Pocket guy. Who wants a public option? (laughs) (laughs) No? Yeah, (laughs) love it. All right, so I'll just ride down with you guys then? Yeah, we can do that. Awesome. Thank you, Mark. I feel like it went awkward there. I love you, Mark. You know I love you. <laughs> I love him more. It didn't go awkward. I would say it went, really? <laughs> really. All right. Now it's awkward. <laughs> now it's a little awkward. Do you want to be my co-host? Sure. Oh, look at that. Yeah. How many kids Who's you got? Who's next, Mark? Three. You have three children? Yes. On purpose? Yeah. And they're how old? Five, three, and five months. Oh, that's right, a baby. So you guys must be so happy to be out. Yeah. Now She'll be five months uh, October 10th. That's very exciting. Yeah. And you like all your kids. Oh, I love them. That's, They're so awesome. That's spectacular. They're really great. You like them? No complaints. Huge fan of them. I really enjoy their work. All right. Well, now it's gotten awkward, officially, for some okay. reason. But, I, uh, but I'm glad you had kids. And uh, I don't know that. I don't think I'm going to have any. So that's probably good, right? Can I have one of yours? This is a low note. Yeah. <laughs> Let's we, bring it back we, up, no, Mark. We As already, your we, I, we already outroed. We, we're not going. We don't yeah. have to use it. Okay. And I, you know, it's like fine for rubbing your kids in my face. I, it was going well, and yeah, now we, I got to be reminded. Them, we had them to spite so me, so that you would feel bad about. No, it. I know that. <laughs> I've known you a long time. I know what's going on. I'm on to you and Louis getting movies to spite me and Todd Barry appearing in films. I know what this is about. This is all about, ha, 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 Mark, who doesn't have a movie? Who it's, doesn't have a child? Who isn't on television all the time? I, I understand what, how this exactly business- why we came. You I know, it's so I know. weird. It's like, that, that is what's going on, really. <laughs> it's actually an intervention. It's- <laughs> Which, a narcissistic you intervention? You know, frankly, it's an exhausting, and I, I hope this By isn't weird, but your mom against- and dad have been paying for it, and then they stopped paying, so now Todd and- you're Everyone. all stuck in it, and no we're one's like, getting paid you know, We're not going to do it anymore if we're getting paid. But then uh, we fell in love with you, yeah. and we couldn't stop. I know, I know. Thanks for coming, <laughs> okay. you guys. Jeannie Thanks. and Jim Gaffigan. So uh, let's have this conversation, because we flew uh, Chris Lopresto in. Some of you may remember Chris Lopresto, Kalo, from uh, Morning Sedition. Mark. The fearless board op. He, hey, look, he looks all tan, too. Look at him. Wow, tan. Your head shaved, and you look good. You're lean. Uh, what the hell is going on? Well, I, you I did just get back from Greece. How long were you in Greece? Ten days. What happens there? Uh, nude beach, actually. Really? That's yeah. the whole time? The whole ten days? Uh, nude beach? Six. Six days. And you went with the woman? Yes, I went with my girlfriend. Who you live with now? Yes, it's true. Oh, my God. You've grown up. I know. It's sad. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Now, in Greece, if I could real quick, 
You, you go to Greece, you, you see the Parthenon, right? Uh, yes. And you, you see some rocks and ruins. Yeah, by the way, that looks like shit, by the way. It's old, Chris. No, 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 not oh. only that, but it, it has scaffolding on it. It looks like uh, the Statue of Liberty back in the 90s. Well, they're trying to, to help it. No, it's, it's going to be like that forever. With scaffolding. Yeah. It's, they're it's just, just going to add that? Yeah. Like or, as, as, as time goes on, they're going to be like, then they added the <laughs> scaffolding in 2007. Now that it's 3004, people are amazed that that scaffolding is still there. <laughs> and beneath it are ruins that are thousands of years old. They're creating a, they're thinking ahead. I suppose so. They're ahead of the curve. So, what, what did you have any moments here like Patton had? You know, Patton stood, didn't Patton stand over a battlefield and say it was here? This is where the great wars were fought. It was somewhere in Turkey or somewhere. Did you have anything like that happen? No, not, you know, I actually turned 30 uh, while I was there. And uh, that was the thing. There was no big epiphany moment. At was 30? Kinda, yeah, I was like, you know, pissed off. I was like, yeah. I wanted some like big epiphany. I was looking at the ancient ruins of a right the cradle of modern civilization, and you turn thirty, like this is fucking it. I know. It's like, man, it? my my ass hurts a yeah. little. I'm chafing. <laughs> yeah. Like that's it. That's Where democracy began. Yeah. Where Plato walked around and thought things, right. and Socrates doodled. Yeah, I'm like, I'm hungry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, I think that's the proper tourist thing to have. Oh, good. There's no reason to put it in historical perspective. You turned 30, you were standing in the cradle of modern democracy, you were hungry, your ass itched, and you wanted to go to a nude beach. Yes. I think that, that is, those are the gifts of a free world. Nope. So I think you're honoring the memory of Greece. Thank God. Now let's talk about this show that I, because Brendan's a fan, you're a fan. I got to tell you, I'm only a fan because Chris made me a fan. And this is this was maybe uh, two years ago. He was so ahead of the curve, and he said, "You've got to watch this show, Mad Men." And I was like, "What's that?" And he's like, "It's on AMC." And I was like, uh, "AMC? Yeah, right. They show like Short Circuit. I don't. They're never going to turn right." That on. I felt the same way. And then when yeah. I saw the coming attractions and the the credits for it, I was like, "This is ridiculous. It's so campy and retarded." Right, right. I didn't I didn't get into it until I was stuck on a plane. And it, the plane had the, the digital TV in the uh, back of the head headset headrest, and I watched about four episodes in a row, and it was like crack. I needed to mainline it. Well, I think that's what happens is that when you when you're a man and someone tells you to watch Mad Men, your initial response is like, I'm not going to watch that. It's on AMC. And then within 15 minutes of watching it, you realize I'm in love with Don Draper. Right. That guy is like the best guy in the world. I, not only do I have a man crush, I would actually probably go out with that guy. I was I was telling Chris uh, this today that I actually caused caused a fight in my household uh, this past episode. What? Because uh, I said Don Draper is my hero. Oh man! So your wife is like, why? Because he what? What does he do that's so heroic? Yeah, yeah. Oh, he, I, he sweeps around on his wife. I, I've I've had this this argument for the entire time. Really? My, my girlfriend thinks this guy's the scum of the earth. And I've it's actually, so funny because they all do. They like she was so furious at the fact that the first episode of this new season he was sleeping with that stewardess. And she was like, he didn't fucking learn anything. He's fucking, he's just motherfucker. She wow. got so, it was like, like when Michael Vick killed dogs, like she <laughs> was treating Don Draper like that. And then the one we were watching this, this past week was uh, this great moment where the, uh, the character who's the copywriter, uh, uh, who used to be Don Draper's secretary. And the she's, woman, what's her name? Uh, Peggy. Peggy. She's uh, great. She's very good. It's a great character. Yeah. Very, very, uh, a lot of depth to the character, but she's very ambitious. And, and as you see this season going on, you see her ambitions growing because of 
the, the basically the male environment she's invested herself in. Right. And she's starting to grow a dick. In a way, she's she's growing a bigger dick than the guys. Right. And he had this moment with Peggy where she was she's already asked him for a raise, which she probably doesn't deserve at this point. And then he she went in on the pretense of bringing him something that he had to sign off on for 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 work. And if, if people don't know, they they work at an ad agency, and he's the creative director. So she was bringing him something under the auspices of trying to get a, a new account he right. got on uh, w- was the Hilton Hotels because uh, Conrad, a big subplot of the show is Conrad Hilton came to him directly and asked for... Uh, and he didn't know it was Conrad house. Hilton when he first met him. Oh, I called that shit though. You did? I did. How the hell did you know that? Because I went to, uh, the, uh, there was a, a line that the guy dropped. He said, where are you from? He said, I'm from San Antonio, New Mexico. And I thought, was that a flub? Right. Like, did he mean to say Texas? I've never heard of San Antonio, New Mexico. <laughs> okay. And so, or, you know, I thought maybe he meant to say Santa Fe. And I went and looked it up online, and it's this town in New Mexico that has, like, a population of, like, 11,000 people. And he's the most famous guy and from he, there. Exactly. That's ah. so funny. Let me just paint a picture for the people listening. Matthew, of uh, of Mark and Matthew fame, is sitting here in the room knowing that we're going to talk about this and knowing that he has not watched any of it, but also thinking that he's going to begin watching it. Where with his fingers in his ears, you told like me a. You weren't gonna spoil. I don't think that's a spoiler. No. Yeah, but to you, everything is spoiling. It's like I saw it was on TV last night. Don't tell me what time it's on. Don't Brandon tell me was. what time it's on. Look how excited Brendan was about guessing that thing. That's the kind of joy I want to have. <laughs> <laughs> well, then get out. Get out. All right. Fine. <laughs> call me when you're ready. <laughs> <laughs> My big thing is. Eh, so so am i supposed to now uh wonder what paris hilton thinks of man men by the way well wait 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 let's not go that let's not go that direction (laughs) what what i want to try to figure out on some level is why i mean the show they're meticulous in capturing the time which what is it 1968 maybe no 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 no. they're right now they're in 63 so it's way before the vietnam war well so it's if you just starting to escalate it's just starting because there was that those those draft dodgers in the last episode but it's also tapping into that whole idea of that kind of caddish cool that time was very swinging and very beautiful and all the furniture looked great and the hairstyles were great and men were men and women you know had there were gender roles and everything else but i think at the core of this the thing that makes Draper so insanely intriguing is that here he is this advertising genius that completely invented himself, that invented his entire personality. You're not sure where he comes from until like, what, the second season, right? Mm-hmm. And it turns out He's that- still not even that clear. Right. And, and then, you know, he's not, he doesn't even have his real name. And then, you know, there's, you know, Anne Rand is discussed in, in one of the episodes. Yeah. And that there's this whole idea that this guy could manufacture an entire identity for himself- that is so compelling and then create these advertising in that he's also an, a, a genius at manufacturing image for other places. Now I'm, I'm getting all deep and weird about it, but there's something about like, you can't just dismiss him as just a guy's guy because he's got so much mystique and so much weird shit. And some of it is even like questionable. Well, I also think, you know, because he invented himself out of whole cloth, he, it goes back to that scene from this past week, this past weekend's episode that I was talking, I was referring to, where he told this copy editor Peggy that you know she couldn't have this job on the account, she couldn't have the raise because all she was doing was wanting more and more and more. And he finally said to her, "Look, you were my secretary. You have an office now. You have a job that guys in this building would kill to have." And 
you you are just still asking me for more and more. You're good. Get better and stop asking for things. And I like I literally want to spring up out of my couch and start applauding. <laughs> like I want to like be telling that to people every day on the street. And he had to invent himself from the ground up. And he never asked for anything. He decided at you know when he came back from the Korean War that he was going to be an entirely different Wang person. Sui. And and in fact at the end of this episode, uh, his boss winds up holding that over his head. To, right, that's the interesting to, thing to is blackmail him. right, leveraging secrets, and and his boss knows his real identity, and and he uses that. But but Don Draper, the relationships he has with Peggy, and with now with the art director who he caught in that homosexual uh, encounter, right. that he actually has a deeper sort of weird understanding with the people that have the deeper secrets that he has to keep. You know, Peggy with the baby, and and then uh, the art director with the gay thing. Right, and that you know, there's a respect there, and that makes him sort of like this. He has this weird integrity based on the fact that he's got all these secrets when yeah. you start to learn that they that 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 integrity uh informs his cop his ad writing and the ads he comes up with because if you remember he uh caught that uh that gay guy uh you know in flagrante during uh the trip to london, uh, london fog, fog. Mm -hmm. yeah right and, and there was a fire drill yeah and the ad that then he made that he made and he got that guy to sign off on about the raincoats was uh you know some kind of art about the raincoat and a woman covering herself up with right. one and that the ad line was limit your exposure. Yeah. And so he, he he not only got it in the ad and made this great ad for, for London Fog, but it was also a message to this art director, like you have to watch yourself in this business or you're done. You know, Brendan goes deep. Yeah, it's good. That was heavy, man. It was that episode. I was like, wow, this guy, Don Draper, is probably worse than Tony Soprano ever was as a, as <laughs> yeah, a on a on, a on a on a psychological level because oh, yeah. he's I mean, he can play anybody. Just just throw away your family, you know, turn your back on them. Like it, he went to California. Like we didn't even know if he was going to come back. Right, the, right. The existential sort of like he has no loyalty to anything. Yeah, but like, like, what, this constant invention of himself. That's why this past episode, I was, yeah. I was thinking, you know what? Maybe he's just going to bounce. Maybe he's going to go go with the Hiltons and uh, and go and leave. Uh, yeah, Tom and they Cooper. set this up early on the series when he was like having sex with the Bohemian girl. Remember with the reefer smokers? And right. He always ends up in odd situations, and then he got rolled the other night. That was pretty good. I didn't see that coming. And, and by the way, by the way, and, and getting back to Don Draper being, you know, oh, he hasn't learned anything. It's not Don Draper's fault. He's, you know, he's a he's a guy, and women want him, and they flirt with him, and it's it just happened. I th that I think is the the thing that makes it like we were talking before we got on the mic about how it's not like the Sopranos in the sense of who's going to get whacked in this weird bloody menace, but there's something about the veneer of that time, which is really about the time where everything starts to change culturally. Mm -hmm. I mean, in like come three years from where they are now, the entire culture is going to turn upside down. You sort of got a taste of it with the uh, the Admiral campaign when they wanted to sell it to blacks but they were like maybe blacks the TVs right they learned right. which they learned uh, that that admiral TVs were selling big in cities with uh, large and black the pitch of the guy, right the pitch of the guy was like we should market to blacks and then admiral says maybe blacks are buying it because they want to be like white people right, right. but and the reality was they just didn't want to become the black tv right because this is still pre-civil rights era and that led to a great scene where that guy <laughs> who was managing that account who is ostensibly the shit heel of the show yeah uh but but was right in that situation was doing something he thought was virtuous by trying to break through to a to a minority break the community race yeah. Right. 
he gets dragged into the office by the bosses and they're, they, they dress him down. Like, what the hell did you think you were doing turning that into a black TV? And he says, I, you know, I thought I was doing the right thing. And uh, one of the partners of the company did a great line. He was like, do you realize that half of our business comes down to I don't like that guy? Yeah. And that, you know, you're like, that's most business Every everywhere. Business. Every, yeah. I've been fired for that reason several times. Right. <laughs> so it's already become incredibly popular. Why do you think it's so popular? Well, I think that the glamour of it and, and this sort of the, the, when retro you have is cool, but retro, but also that because it's right at the breaking point of culture and there's all this sex and all this, uh, you know, darkness that is bursting out of the seams of this thing. And every once in a while it does burst out. But I think that people buy the protocol, the, the gender stereotypes and, and the roles that everyone has and they, they get it. And when it starts to kind of start to buckle or, or something happens completely surprising for those roles and for that time, you're like, whoa. And you kind of get the feeling that, that this is all new for the culture and for the people that are involved. And I think it's very compelling. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's like a David Lynch sort of thing where David Lynch took the macabre and the like horror of like of, of things that don't normally happen. Yeah, suburbia. Yeah, and, yeah. and put it into a place and just see what happens. But it also like, it just captures that that you really get what the social norms are. And you get that almost like and you read about this too, about that era, that all this other stuff is just percolating over this. I guess it would, it's not, it's not Victorian, but there were definitely social norms that were respected. The housewife model, the working guy model, you know, how people are supposed to behave in the office, uh, race relations. And you can feel that stuff is about to blow open. And in all the characters, it sort of is right. in certain ways. And, and, and but there, there are also so, social norms that, that seem just comical, like, uh, like the kids mixing a drink, the, uh, the, the kid having a some dry cleaning plastic over their heads, like stuff that in 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 today's mind you'd be like, well, you know, what the fuck are you doing? Like, right, you know. And also in my mind, I mean, I was born in 1963, so there were still remnants of that somewhere in my memory. Right, like you know, that stuff doesn't look that unfamiliar to me. Like my grandparents' house, they had a bar, you know, in the living room that had the bottle. You know, it just it was there. Right, that era was something that my grandparents lived through, and certainly my parents to some degree, though they were a little younger than that. But uh, it's familiar to me in the pictures of my family. Right. See, this is cool because I've thought since I've started enjoying the show that there are three reasons that it's popular and that it's enjoyable. And you guys have mentioned two, the era, the atmosphere. But the third thing, which I think is probably the most important, is that it is a honest depiction of work, of office work. Of, of jobs, of people having a struggle in a job, of learning how the sausage is made. You get this backstage peek at uh, an industry that's kind of cloaked in mystery and most also, of the time. And also an industry that is infused itself into everything. You know, advertising mm. is really the most important industry in the world, right. unfortunately. And and what you're seeing here is the roots of that. I mean, everything is about publicity. Everything is about self-branding. Everything is, everything is about advertising. And this is sort of the crucible of that. This is where advertising became modern advertising. Right. And, and, uh, and you know, if you watch a show like, say, The Office, which is set in an office, Chances are you're not going to find, because it's a situation comedy, it's written at a 20-minute script to try to get comic beats out, there's not an enti- it's not entirely relatable to your given life, despite the fact that they're sitting in cubicles and they're, you know, having mundane things occur to them. This thing, because so much of what happens on screen is subtext, 
is not spoken is just is like little office battles that go on uh psychologically and warfare that happens from cubicle to cubicle that's happening to every single person at any job at any given time and so, now if anything the roles were so clearly defined in this that like yeah. it almost there's a romance to that workplace that i think you'd be it, it would be hard to find now yeah that that the romance of roles in, in office politics and and uh, and territory and everything else I don't think you have that anymore all right should we let Matthew come back in yes yeah not not got Ma- Matthew hey, hey Matthew you, you can come back in Is it safe? and then they all die in the last what? episode <laughs> what what I'm sorry did that is that a spoiler you just told me to come I'm sorry I thought you were gonna come in oh damn I just wanted to say thank you, Mark. You're I welcome. just wanted to express some gratitude for you uh-huh. and to you. I just I wanted to for read doing this. Does I, this does that make you feel uncomfortable? No, I can handle it. I can take it. Can I? You're can I just look at you and say, "Glad to be here. Sure. Glad to be doing this." And I want to share some email with you. Oh, really? Yeah, about you. Oh. Since you're being so open. Okay. This is from Chuck on Facebook, from one of the last episodes we did. Mm. Tell Matthew that he's thinking of the observer effect, not the Heisenberg right. uncertainty principle. They are related, but not the same. Right. The Heisenberg uncertainty principle can be considered a kind of observer effect, oh, yeah. but the way he's using it, he's talking about the observer effect. I knew I was off somehow. I knew it was a popular misconception. I just misconception. thought that since you were open, I just wanted, I knew you could handle that Thanks. criticism no, without yeah. getting defensive. No, I'm not defensive. Because you kind of do that know-it-all thing. Like, you know, oh, I know everything, I'm Matthew. No, that's just how I am, Mark. It's it, you, you project that onto me because you feel no, you've inferior. Co- no, you've corrected me many times. with Only when you're wrong. Yeah, well, you were wrong. Just, I just didn't know either of these things to tell you you were wrong. I believe you if you wrong. play the tape back, you'll you'll hear that I sort of equivocated. You know, I sort of said. So you admitted that you didn't know what the fuck you were talking about. Well, if you, you read what, some... if you read that email, it says that it's a kind. The observer effect is related. Tell to me the what the observer number. effect is, Matthew. Anything that you observe is changed by the nat- by the fact that you observed it. All right, now tell me what the Heisenberg of uh, that is the, is. the you can't know the position and the speed of a particle at the same time. It's an electron cloud. You ever take that kind of chemistry right, in now, high school. Now tell me why I should fucking give a shit. Well, it it could only help you to expand your horizon and give yourself another sort of metaphor for what life in the world is, but or not. You don't have to. So I'm having an observer effect right now listening to you. No. Well, I think that we now have proof of something else, Matthew. Oh, oh yeah, proof. Yes. Of the Mark and Matthew effect. Do you know what that is? No. That is where, you know, I eventually get exhausted with your persistent need to prove yourself right. And even though I know in my heart that I'm smarter than you, I'll indulge it. Do you know what Matthew's general theory of barren relativity is? (laughs) No. It's take whatever Mark says about you. And realize that it's just him projecting. And suddenly you have an insight into what Mark actually is all about. You know what's hilarious about that? I'm making you up right now. All right, folks, that's our show. I'd like to thank my guest, Jim Gaffigan, and the surprise uh, appearance of his wife, Jeannie. I like her. I've always liked her. 
to the point where it gets awkward with Jim. I don't know if he's joking or not, but it's it's awkward. I want to thank Kalo. Haven't seen him in a while. Chris Lopresto. Of course, Brendan McDonald on the board. My friend Matthew, who, as always, is irritating but endearing. And I just want to remind you people that I will be at the Punchline in San Francisco October 8th, 9th, and 10th, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, if those dates match up. I'm never going to sleep. I'm never going to sleep. 